Bibles, let's uh, turn to Matthew chapter 26. It's a privilege for us to come again tonight to the observance of the Lord's Supper. And this is just a wonderful time for the church because we get to do this and um, think about the Lord's death, a very special moment for our church as we think about the death of Christ on the cross. And the book of Matthew is one of the four places that we go to Uh, usually go to read about the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. It began as a Passover meal. That's the yearly feast of the Jews that was celebrated since the Old Testament times. And as you well know, it was all about Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And the Passover took place just before the exodus out of Egypt. The Passover was a time of sacrifice. A lamb was killed. And then the blood of the lamb was smeared on the doorpost and the lintels of the houses. Then the people went inside of their houses and they shut the door. And on that night, on the night of the Passover, the death angel came. And any house that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the Passover or the death angel passed over that house. Then any house that didn't have that blood, then the firstborn of the house died. And the Jews were commanded to keep that Passover throughout their generations, and it was to show them that deliverance by God comes from sacrifice. And the lamb that was slain was a symbol that one day God would send a lamb that would be a once-for-all sacrifice, and that this lamb would deliver his people forever. So this was the yearly sacrifice of lambs, and that's the occasion here that we have for the 26th chapter of Matthew. Jesus was in Jerusalem at the exact appropriate time for Passover. He was there at the specific moment that was, an in, was intended. A little bit later on, we may talk uh, some more about how, uh, in a later message or another time, we may talk about some more specific things that were fulfilled at Passover time when Jesus observed this with his disciples. But his death there was the fulfillment of this, of this type that had been established 1,500 years before this time. Now, we're going to begin reading tonight with verse number 17, and we're going to read down to verse number 30. The meal is the Passover, but Jesus transformed that into a picture that would memorialize his death until he comes again. So if you'll look in Matthew 26, verse number 17, it says, Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand, I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating... Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. I want to stop there just for a minute and just remind you of this, that Judas had asked the question, Lord, is it I? 
And by reading the other accounts of this, we learned that this was the point that Judas left, so that he wasn't actually present when the supper was instituted. Verse 26 begins the institution of the supper. Let's read that again. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and break it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out unto the Mount of Olives." This evening, before we partake of the supper, I'd like for us to concentrate on verses 17 through 19. Now, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, My time is at hand, I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples." And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now, you'll notice there in verse number 17 that the disciples came to Jesus on the first day of unleavened bread. Now, I think we ought to take just a moment to explain that. Um, The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a seven-day feast that actually began on the day after Passover. But here it says that the disciples came on the first day of the week, or the first day of the feast, and they asked him, where should we prepare the Passover? And that seems a little bit odd, because the Passover should have been over. Uh, The Feast of Unleavened Bread begins the day after Passover. Well, how do we explain that? I mean, how would that happen? Well, the difficulties resolved here is because the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover are so close together that sometimes the Feast of Unleavened Bread actually comprehended the Passover. And sometimes they would use Passover to refer to the whole eight days of Passover plus the feast. That would be one day for Passover, seven days for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so yet they, they combine these two. And so either when you hear Feast of Unleavened Bread or you hear Passover, then it's used to describe that entire time period. Now, in a few minutes, I'm going to come back and I want to talk about this Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and uh, why that is significant. Now, I also want you to notice the first part of the question that the disciples asked. They said, where wilt thou that we prepare to eat the Passover? Where wilt thou? And that brings me to the first part of our discussion this evening, which is the place for the supper. The disciples asked, where wilt thou, or where is the place? And that's a very interesting question because it's one that we could really easily skip over and not think about. The disciples ask, where? Where are we going to do this? And the disciples that ask that question are Peter and John. We learn that from Luke chapter 22, verse number 8. So Jesus had a very definite place in mind where this was to be observed. But you notice here that Jesus didn't give them address. He didn't give them the name of the man whose house where this was going to be observed. He gave them no directions. He just says, go into the city to such a man. And that isn't very much detail. And it would be impossible for us to see what did Jesus mean when he said, go see such a man, just from reading this text alone. So we're going to switch over now and go over to Luke chapter 22. So if you'll turn there for just a moment, I want you to see how Jesus described this man and how they would know who he was. 
Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse number 7. This is the parallel account of what we just read in Matthew. Luke 22, verse number 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And there, once again, you see, they're using uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover as a combination here. Verse number 8, And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. So they were to go into the city, and the city, that's not in question. They knew exactly what he meant by that. When you talk about Passover, the city is always Jerusalem. That's where they go to observe the Passover. So they were to go into Jerusalem, and they're to look for a man who is carrying a pitcher of water. Now, that also seems to be a little bit difficult, because how many men in Jerusalem would be carrying a pitcher of water? Well, the answer is just this one. And that's because... Men didn't carry water. That's women's work. So there's some things that men didn't do. Men didn't do women's work. And I think that's a custom we ought to keep today. Men don't do women's work. So they went into the city, and they found this one man doing what men don't do. He's carrying a pitcher of water. So they knew exactly who they were to look for. Now, why do you suppose, though, that Jesus is so cryptic about this? Well, why is he secretive? Why didn't Jesus just give him the guy's name? Why doesn't he give him the address where they're going? Well, you have to remember that there is another guy lurking out there, and he has a plan to betray Jesus. He's looking for a very easy place where he knows that Jesus will be. He knows that he's going to be there at a certain time, and he's going to give that information to Jesus' enemies. And so he would be able, they would be able to come and find Jesus and seize him. Well, of course, Jesus already knows about this, and so he's not going to tip Judas off ahead of time. He must observe the Passover, and he can't have that interrupted. He has some very important things that he's going to teach the disciples during these few hours that he's there in the upper room. And if you read John chapters 13 through 17, you'll find many instructions that Jesus gave them just before he was taken to the cross to be crucified. All that took place in the upper room. This is the time when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It's when he told them about his betrayal. It's when he had that discourse with Peter, and he said, Peter, you are going to betray me three times. He also told them then about heaven. That's where you read John 14, verse number 1 through 6. And then he talked to them about how he was going to... He's there talking about how he's going to leave and prepare a place for them. He talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He told them that great chapter about the vine and the branches. He told them how he had chosen them and how the world would hate them. He spoke of their sorrow and what they would experience when he left. And then he told them that their sorrow would be turned into joy. And then he prayed that great high priestly prayer that we find in John chapter 17. And that is the real Lord's Prayer. All that took place during this time. And so Jesus did not want to, have, uh, to give Judas the opportunity to spoil that by being seized before the supper. So he's secretive about this. And he tells two disciples, Peter and John, 
two trusted disciples where they are to go. And they went, and they didn't come back. And then at the right time, Jesus led the other disciples to that place, and then they met in the upper room. Now, I mention all of that because the place was very important. It was a specific place. It was the gathering place of the disciples. Probably this is the same room where later he appeared to them after the resurrection. This is likely the place that we find in Acts chapter 1 where there were later 120 members of the church that had met together and there they chose the new apostle to replace Judas. And I believe that the place was very important because what we have here with these disciples is the church gathered together. These particular men form the first church. These are the men who are called out. These are the ones that are very specifically given his instructions. Now, 120 later, they're converted at a later time. But this is the first church in existence. And these are the first disciples to meet together in fellowship with one another. And I believe that that teaches that the Lord's Supper, the place of the Lord's Supper, is in the church. And by the church, I, I don't mean the building. Because the church is wherever the disciples are gathered together. Now, it so happens that this building is where Berean Baptist Church meets, and so this is the place where we observe the supper. And if you ask me, well, why is that so important? Well, it is because the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance, and an individual is not the church. Five people out of this group meeting together is not the church. Ten people meeting in a Sunday school room over there, that's not the church. A dozen ladies at the ladies' meeting on a Tuesday night, that is not the church. The church is when God's people are assembled together in this capacity to carry out what God has commissioned us to do as a church. So it's the assembly of us all. And and it doesn't really mean that every single member of the church has to be present, but it has to be a meeting that's agreed upon by the people that we meet in church capacity. We come under the leadership of the officers of the church, the pastors and the deacons, and this is the time that we observe the Lord's Supper. Now, if you wonder why we don't send communion cups and the bread out to the hospital and we don't take it to sick members in their homes, this is the reason. It's because it is a church ordinance to be observed in the church. And we don't have the authority to observe this supper except we meet in the Lord's church and we meet in church capacity. Now, I've told you this story before, how that uh, when I was in Israel... There's a, 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 it's a big thing there to go to the garden where they believe that the tomb of Jesus was. And all the tour groups go there, and there are literally thousands of people. I'm, you know, I'd say way, well over a thousand people that would be there at any one time. And these different groups will split up, and uh, all of these people in these tour groups will go off, and they'll start having a communion service, and they'll observe the Lord's Supper. I was asked if I wanted to help officiate one of those groups. And my reply to that was no, because there is no authority for it. My church is right here. This is where I observe the supper among the members of Berean Baptist Church. I don't have the authority to administer the Lord's Supper to anyone else in any other place, not to some other people. We're meeting together as a church, and this is where we're to observe the supper. Now, to to do that, to do something else, is to demean the importance, the real meaning of the importance of the church. And that doesn't mean that people who do it differently than we do it, that they're not Christians. I believe that they are, or some of them are, maybe most of them are. But what I do think is they ought to do the very same thing that we do here. 
That they observe the supper where they go to church. They observe the supper with their local church. It's a church ordinance. And when Paul spoke about the supper, specifically when he was mentioning it, he was talking directly to the Corinthian church. Assembled Corinthian church. Now some people, well, they ask the question, did Paul observe the Lord's Supper with them? And I can't answer that question definitively because the Bible doesn't say, but I do know this. He had the office of an apostle. I don't have that. Neither does anybody else have that today. And so if he took the Lord's Supper with him, he did it under the authority of that office, by virtue of the office, and it doesn't exist today. But I do believe in the, in the solemnity and the sanctity of the supper, and I believe that it's demeaned when you take it out of its proper place. We commune as God's church, as his body, not just because we like to get together with other Christians, but we do it when we are assembled as his church. Now let's go on to the second part of Peter and John's question. They said, where wilt thou that we prepare? So let's talk about that, the preparation of the supper. Where wilt thou that we prepare? And preparation was necessary. What kind of preparation? Well, in this case, they of course, had to bring the lamb. That had to be slain. They have to have that. They have to get the meal ready. But there's more to this than just bringing the lamb. There's the issue of cleansing the room. Now, let me take you back to this discussion of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The room where this was to be observed had to be cleansed from leaven. From top to bottom, all of the leaven has to be gotten out of that room, out of the house. Now, The Feast of Unleavened Bread, as I said a moment ago, that's a seven-day celebration. And what the Jews would do is they would remove all of the leaven out of their houses. And for seven days, they wouldn't eat anything that had any leaven that was leaven. Now, if you don't understand what I mean by leaven, uh, it really means like taking yeast and put it into bread. What we would call it's light bread. And you put that yeast in the dough, that causes the, the dough to rise when you put it in the oven. When the children of Israel were ready to leave Egypt, God said, you can't eat any leavened bread. They were in a hurry. They had no time to wait. They couldn't wait for the dough to rise. There's a picture that goes with this. They have to be ready to leave Egypt immediately. They've got to be ready to go. So they're also told that when they eat the Passover, they had to eat it with their shoes on. That symbolized, we're moving out of this place. You've got to be ready to go. So he says, no unleavened bread, eat it with your shoes on. But more importantly, is the symbol that Egypt was not to be a part of their lives any longer. When you read the scripture, you're always going to find that Egypt represents the old sinful life. It represents the time before you were saved. It always represents sin. And so how are we going to get the picture here uh, out of the unleavened bread? How how do you draw that out, the unleavened bread? I mean, what's, what's all that got to do, sin and all that? Well, it's because the Hebrew women would always save a little bit of dough out of their batch of bread, out of the last one that they baked, and they would save a little bit of the dough, and they would use that as a starter for the next loaf of bread that they were going to bake. So they would take that already saved dough, it would be sour, it's fermented, and they put it into into the other bread dough that they just made, and now they have leavened bread. They put it in the oven, and it rises. But God said, get the leaven out. Don't use that. And what it symbolized was not taking a part of the Egyptian life with them. 
So you get the leaven out because you're not going to take that little piece of dough that's fermented and, and take it with you and put it in your bread when you leave here because that symbolizes that you're taking part of Egypt with you. And he says, you can't have any part of that old sinful life. You're not a part of the world anymore. You're not a part of Egypt anymore. Now listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul brings this this whole thing strikingly into view. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Now, he's comparing that. He's talking about that starter piece of leaven. Purge out the old leaven, comparing that to sin, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, not that old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so there you can put it all together. Paul here... And this scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, has been discussing fornication, sin in the church. And this is not an abstract. I mean, the church is the people. And so he's talking here about getting sin out of the people's lives. So he says, purge it out. Get rid of that. Get rid of the sin out of your life. And then he gives us the reason for it. He says, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And so do you see how he takes that Old Testament picture of the Passover, he combines that with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he's telling them that just like the children of Egypt, uh, Israel leaving Egypt, you have to get the leaven out, you must worship Christ as your Passover. Nothing in Egypt is to be a part of your life any longer. And I want to tell you that when you come to the supper, you must come with your sins confessed. And you must come with your sins repented of. You must come with sins forsaken. And if you don't, you're not qualified to eat. If you don't have a pure heart before God, you're not qualified to eat. And so now some of you might say, well, well, my heart is not pure right now, so that means I shouldn't, I shouldn't partake. That's not good enough. What we actually have here in the command of the Lord's Supper is a double-edged sword. If you do partake with a sinful heart, then you're in danger of judgment. That's why Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, some of you are sick, some of you have died because you ate with a sinful heart. So on one hand, you're not supposed to eat because of your sin, but on the other hand, he says, you are commanded to observe this, and as a member of church, you must observe this, and if you don't, you sin against God. So how are you going to solve the dilemma? Well, solving the dilemma comes in being prepared for what we're about to do. You know, you knew we're having the supper tonight. It's been announced. It happens four times in every quarter. I even gave you a little bit of warning in the bulletin today that you didn't read. So you know this. You, you, you should have been prepared for this. In fact, you ought to be prepared as if you're going to take the Lord's Supper every single Sunday night because that's the way that Christians are supposed to live. Egypt, your old sins... None of that's supposed to be a part of your life any longer. So you're supposed to have sins forsaken. All of that's supposed to be gone. You're to come tonight prepared for this, leaving sin behind. But I know that many haven't come that way. Some will come without clean hands, and some will come without a clean heart. Now, I'm going to nail you on something again. Maybe you get tired of me talking about this, but I'm not going to get done talking about it until people start to change and do things right. Let me talk to you a little bit about this junk that goes on on Facebook and places like that. Let me be very blunt about this, as if I haven't already been blunt before. Some of you are idiots. 
I mean that. Some of you are idiots for putting your dirty laundry out on display. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, there are people with jobs in the church that you put out foul language on, on Facebook. And in the middle of your post, you've got stuff that ought not to be there. You've got pictures that ought not to be there. You look like somebody who's still living in the gutter of the old life. And that's not supposed to be there. And what have you done? You've hung it out there for everybody to see. And so people that are here tonight, they know who you are. I know who you are. What's wrong with that? You need to be prepared when you come here. And, and, and somebody might get nervous about this. You might get mad at me about it. But folks, Jesus Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He died to deliver us from that old life. He died to bring us out of that life of sin. As the Apostle Paul said, how can you that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Somebody needs to be getting this tonight. Somebody needs to be paying some attention tonight. You need to be prepared before you come here. Now, some of you I know right now, you're caught on the horns of a dilemma. You've been commanded to partake, and you sin if you don't, but you'll sin if you do. So what are you going to do about it? Well, the answer is to repent right now. The answer is to confess it and forsake it, and don't go back to it. And the answer is, when the next quarter rolls around and we're ready to partake of the Lord's Supper, you've got a record of devotion. You've got a record of purity in your heart. You've got cleansing and consecration that ought to be there. Now, we're talking about some serious stuff here. And I don't want to ruin the solemnity of this moment. We come here tonight with glad hearts. We're gladdened because we know Christ. And we ought to come here unashamed and be able to listen to preaching like I'm giving you right now and say, praise God, I've been delivered from that. I don't live that way anymore. Now I walk and I talk with the king. I'm living with the Lamb of God who gave his life for me. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So they said, where wilt thou? That's the place. They said, where wilt thou that we prepare? And that's the preparation. Now thirdly, is the purpose of the supper. Now there's much that we could say on this entire subject. Uh, These verses that we've just read are just packed with information. And I could state the purpose of the Lord's Supper in different ways. I can talk specifically about, about the breaking of the bread and how that that's a picture of how Christ's body was broken for us. And we can speak of Jesus being the bread of life, and there we have a purpose for the supper. I could also talk to you about the cup, and I could tell you how the grape juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And so then the purpose is to show us in a figure how that Christ shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. And then we could tie that in to the blood on the doorposts to the houses and how that Christ's blood covers us and protects us from the wrath of God. I'll talk about those subjects at another time. I want to talk to you in a different way. I want, I want to personalize this just a little bit more. And, and I want to show you that the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to show obedience to Christ. Now, verse 19 says, And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. The disciples did as Jesus appointed them. That tells us that they followed the directions. They did exactly what he told them to do. They obeyed. And Luke says, They went and they found it just as Jesus said. There was a man there. There was a room that was ready. There's sufficient space. There's proper furnishings. All the utensils that they need are there. And when you obey, you will always find it just as Jesus says. You know, that's true with your tithing. 
It's true with your witnessing. It's true with your service in the church. It's true with your family. It's true with your contentment. Your needs will be supplied. Your faith is built. Your strength is established. You are conformed to the image of Christ. You live in great anticipation of Christ's return. And when Jesus comes back, or if you die before he does, you'll go to heaven and you'll find it exactly as he said. Everything's there. Not a promise is broken. Not a thing is out of place. Everything is there. Because Christ never overlooks anything. He is a God of detail, folks. Now, let me advise you of something else, though, that the opposite of this is true as well. If you disobey, you will find it just as Jesus says. Now, some of you may have got a little bit uncomfortable tonight. And let me tell you why this is so important. Because there is a looming issue out there for people who claim salvation, and yet they disobey Christ. The looming issue is your assurance. How do you receive assurance that you truly are a child of God? Well, if you come on Wednesday nights, we've been dealing with that subject for, well, I think I'm on the 40th message in 1 John, dealing with the same subjects. How do we know that we're a child of God? One of the things that John says, 1 John chapter 2, and hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, And the truth is not in him. Folks, that's serious. This is a huge issue for everybody that's sitting here tonight. Do you know that you're actually a Christian? And the way that you find that out is do you obey him? Do you obey Christ? And people who don't obey Christ, they have serious cause for concern. Do I actually know him? And so as we come to the service or the supper tonight, is your heart assured? Do you know him? Are you obedient? Did you, did you come to the supper with a clear conscience? Is there really proof of salvation? Did you come prepared? And you can trust me on this. If you have not truly received Christ as Savior, and if you have not truly repented of your sins, and you truly do know that you're a child of God, I'll advise you of this. Steer clear of the supper. You don't want to take this supper if you're not a child of God. There's, there's not a more blasphemous thing that you can do than take the Lord's Supper without being a child of God. And you know Why? Because you are in rejection of the power of his blood, the very thing that this supper represents. Now, I want you to listen to this very fearsome warning that's given us in Hebrews. Here the writer says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and done despite under the Spirit of grace. Do you know what that passage is referring to? It's referring to people who claim Christianity. It's referring to people who come to a service like we're having tonight. They're sitting in the pew. They hear what's being said. They're in the assembly of the church. They claim to be saved, but they are not truly converted. And the Bible says that if you're in that condition and you turn away from salvation in Christ, it says you trample underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, my question for you is how much more is that condemnation intensified when a person would come here and partake of the very symbol of the body and blood, what Christ did for us? Now, the purpose of the supper is obedience. It's to memorialize the death for sin. It commemorates the sacrifice of the cross. 
You come to the supper and you say, I believe, therefore I obey. Is that true of you? Do you obey him? Have you come to Jesus in repentance and faith? And if you are a Christian, do you obey his commands? Does your life show that you have believed? Do you have all the markers that assure your heart before him? And I hope you carefully consider that before we observe the supper tonight. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You know, I think there are a lot of churches that don't really read this. They don't really understand this. You can go to churches and they'll pass out the Lord's Supper to every living thing. I mean, a bug that crawls in and could take the Lord's Supper with him. It wouldn't make a difference. Nobody thinks about this, thinks about the, what's actually taking place when we take the Lord's Supper. And Paul has that, another warning here. You're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord if you drink unworthily. Well, some of us might say, well, of course, we're not worthy. Nobody is worthy of Christ, and we aren't. But we do know this, we are made worthy through our salvation in Christ. That's the only reason why you could even come here. You have been made worthy through him. That's what he's talking about. So we need to remember this. We are God's church assembled. We, we come to observe the supper in the church. So you remember the preparation. There, there shouldn't be any leaven in your life. There's not to be any Egypt in your heart. Sin has to be confessed and repented of. And then remember the purpose. Assure your heart by obedience in all things. Assurance comes through this supper. And this is the way that this has been taught down to the centuries, that people really knew something about, about the Bible and, and the great old expositors of the Bible. Sometimes they, they talk about it, and, and you have to understand what's meant by this when they call it a means of grace. Now, that doesn't mean when you come to the supper that, that, you, that you're, you know, you're going to get saved out of this or anything like that, but God is showing his grace through the supper. God is showing his power through the supper. And we need to think about that when we come tonight. So assure your heart by being obedient. Confess your sins. Be prepared. Have all of it in the proper place, just like these disciples. They were concerned to do exactly what Jesus said. And as I said a moment ago, they found it just as he said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and we come with our hearts broken before you. Lord, we don't like to be necessarily harsh with your people but we need to clearly understand what's taking place here. We have to know about preparation, being ready for this. And Lord, I just pray that your people would right now repent of sin. I, I pray that their hearts would be getting, getting right with you right now and not begrudgingly because a person who begrudges the fact that they have to give up sin is not even a true Christian. Lord, I pray that even at night you might save somebody. We pray, Lord, that people at night would be confessing and trying to get closer to you. And I just ask you, Lord, that your grace would be upon us tonight as we observe this supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.